Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Seems like it's almost impossible to avoid feelings of anxiety in our modern era, doesn't it? Think about the stories that we read or see in the news and that we uh, hear in the rumor mill from, from our friends and neighbors. Stories about violent crime, about military conflict in parts of the world, and uh, lately perhaps a little bit too close to home for comfort, about economic insecurity, price hikes, and supply shortages. The time in which we live is paradoxical in many ways. Our, our natural, our, our material, scientific progress has accelerated at, at an unprecedented rate compared to all of the, the previous centuries and millennia of world history. But yet, on the whole, we are not correspondingly more content and happier than people were in those earlier eras with far less, far fewer modern conveniences. Anxiety strikes those of us in God's church as well. And that is our focus, of course, today. What is anxiety doing to us who follow Jesus? To our trust in God? To the abundant and joyful life that God wants for each of us? To the first place position that God seeks in each of our lives? There's no doubt that our society is very success-oriented and, and focused. Our children very quickly learn our system of, of competition and awards and in the classroom, in music, in sports, and being popular and, and gaining recognition from their peers. Such individual striving for success, of course, can be a good thing when it means that we are seeking to do the best that we can with the talents and the abilities that God has given to us and the resources that God has entrusted to us to, to use well. And when it results in giving glory to God and, and becoming a, a channel of loving service to the people God has placed around us in our lives. But too often, however, success becomes identified with our self-worth and our self-esteem. And very often then, the result is anxiety over keeping up or getting ahead or having it made. Our success very often is measured, most of all, in the salary that we make, the, the material things that we possess, the buying power that we have. Our anxiety focuses on concerns that Jesus raises about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Think about the corporate world. Billions of dollars, trillions perhaps, are spent in, in advertising to consumers to desire things that they don't really actually need. There's immense investment in research and in gathering and processing social data about people's lives and, and spending habits and their experiences and their feelings and in creating anxiety in people's hearts about not having that new car or the latest fashion or, or the newest electronics. We're always feasting our eyes on something that is just out of our reach. Although compared to the rest of the world, certainly today and, and certainly throughout the history of the world, 
we are far more affluent than the vast majority of people. And it still seems that the more we have, the more we still want. The anxiety over money and what it represents festers and grows in the human heart and mind, and it creates a new anxiety about our whole life. We become envious of those who have more than we do. We become bitter even toward those who are in need. We feel guilty that we're not giving them help in their time of need. We become fearful about the future. Joy and strength are sapped from our lives. Days are weary and nights are sleepless when worries overtake us and fill our hearts. Doctors and psychologists will tell you that a great number of illnesses are actually anxiety-related at their root. Most dramatically, we who shake our heads in bewilderment over those who still bow down before idols of wood and stone and silver and gold, we sometimes forget about Jesus' warning that we might also be secretly sacrificing our own lives at the altar of mammon or possession riches. Our energies and our lives can be offerings that are laid down at the shrines of worldly success and prestige. Our hearts can trust in money and possessions alone to give us this day our daily bread, and to deliver us from evil. The tragedy occurs when trust is no longer placed in God for all things, and and when we end up disobeying the very first commandment that God gave, you shall have no other gods. You shall fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So in verse 24 of our reading, Jesus lays it on the line. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, Jesus acknowledges concern about, that we have, that many people have, about many of the anxieties that fill our lives. Verse 25, he says, For this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Verses 27 to 28. Which of you can add a single moment to his lifespan by worrying? Why do you worry about clothing? Verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. And just a few verses before our reading begins, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we shouldn't be surprised at Jesus' frequent references to worries, to anxiety, because he was only observing what people were like. And people at his time had the same anxieties that so many of us do today. Just perhaps with different technology, with different currency of the day. But we sinners are always uncomfortable with the direct, uncompromising words of our Lord that portray us as we really are. How many people really want to hear sermons about their money and possessions? There's a saying that the last part of a Christian's life, the last part to be converted to Christianity, is a person's wallet. 
How many of us really welcome the challenge from our spiritual leaders to honestly evaluate our financial priorities in the light of God's word? Are we really setting aside the first fruits of our income in generous proportion as a thank offering to God for all of his gifts of love, for the gift of his son, Jesus, our Savior? It's not surprising what many people have done to these words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. Some people say that Jesus is advocating a kind of hippie philosophy. Just get out of the rat race, man. Don't adorn yourself with the, with the bougie, upper-class comforts. Drop out of school, sell your house, put your possessions up for auction, join a commune. The business world and its institutions are corrupt. Don't be inhibited. Leave it all behind. Love people freely. Get in touch with nature and with life again. Now others might see in this text that something more like the medieval desire to leave society and its temptations and to join a religious order behind cloistered walls in order to try to be untainted by the sin and temptation of this world, to take a vow of poverty and be rid of worldly comforts once and for all. Still others might see in Jesus' words a, a ground for non-competition or even non-achievement a rebuke of capitalism, and a plea for socialism. But Jesus didn't live by or proclaim such views. We know that he instructed his disciples to carry a money bag to buy food for themselves as they were traveling. They neither gave away all that they had nor begged for everything that they needed. Even while he was dying on the cross, Jesus carefully and thoughtfully provided for the physical welfare of his mother. Jesus walked among the poor. Often he had no place to lay his head. Yet he did also not refuse to partake in the luxuries of the rich. He provided wine for a festive wedding banquet. He ate at the table of a rich Pharisee and a tax collector. He didn't begrudge a woman using very expensive ointment to wash his feet. His life recognized and praised the Heavenly Father as the source of all the daily bread and all the riches and kingdoms of this world. Jesus served only him, and he lived not by bread alone, but by God's word, as we saw in his response to the devil's temptation in the wilderness. Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't plan or be careful or make provision for the future. But he does say that we should not be anxious. The antidote for anxiety lies not in getting more things or in protecting ourselves, but in trusting the loving care of God for his children. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, There is no fear in love. But complete love drives out fear. And so the God who feeds the birds of the air, which neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, the God who clothes the lilies of the field, which neither spin clothing and fabric nor toil or work, this God, our Heavenly Father, 
will care much more bountifully for you and me, for whom he sent his son to die to save us. He is our good shepherd who knows all of our needs, and we lack nothing under his care and providence. Tomorrow and every day in the future belongs to God. We have nothing to fear. We can trust the care of God and we can believe that his love is perfect because of his son, Jesus. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is manifested and comes to each one of us. Anxious and and worried sinners, though we so often are, so often preoccupied with ourselves and, and with all the things that money can buy, yet still he loved us so much that he came into this world the world that he himself created in order to turn us back to God by being the way himself. In Jesus, God draws near to us with the blessings of his forgiveness and new spiritual life in Jesus, who is our Lord and our King. In this new life, we can trust and serve God and not ourselves or material things. A new self-worth and a new self-esteem takes over in our hearts and minds, which God bestows on us as his redeemed children. We're not economic pawns in, in a story of cruel fate and bad luck, but we are people instead of great worth and dignity, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. His righteousness is like a garment of inestimable inestimable value that covers us, covers over all of our sins, and makes us holy and beautiful in the sight of our Heavenly Father. We have nothing to be anxious or worried about as long as we are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, basking in his grace. There's nothing to worry about because his word filled with his promises of abiding love and care is trustworthy and sure. There's nothing to be discouraged about because our life now is truly worth more than food or drink or clothing. And so daily, the choice is ours to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness or to turn away from God and his kingdom and righteousness and instead become part of an anxious and worry-filled world. We can think and plan about our problems, or we can worry and be fearful of them. We can pray about them to God and draw upon God's strength and care, or we can worry over what we will do by ourselves and by our own power. We can express joyful exuberance about life's todays and tomorrows because they are all in God's Or on the other hand, we could complain about what we're going through and what lies ahead. We can work and gratefully accept whatever fruits God gives for our labors. Or on the other hand, we could work and be unhappy that we have so little to show for all of our efforts. We can be cowards in the face of life. Or, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Nothing tests our character quite like anxiety. It can paralyze the child of God or it can turn us 
to the freeing and uplifting power of the love of God through Jesus. May God daily give us this antidote to anxiety. Amen.